evening to you. Really good to be here with you. Um, Andy's already mentioned my name is Ellen, Ellen Wild. I am a minister on the staff team here, and it's always a privilege to come and share some thoughts uh, with my church family. And he's also mentioned that we are um, in this series asking for a friend. Last week we started the series asking for a friend. And uh, the idea behind it is that as Christians, those of us who have some faith, um, we might get asked lots of questions that we may struggle to answer. Friends of ours might be interested in our faith. Maybe you are one of those friends interested in someone's faith, but actually want to know what your Christian friend believes about certain things, certain issues, what their perspective might be. But there's also a kind of tongue-in-cheek take on the title as well, because actually, if we're honest, actually, it's normally us who've got faith that have lots of questions as well. And it's us that want to know the answers. So on social media, the hashtag asking for a friend really means actually I'm asking for myself. I'd like to know what the answer to this is, please. If you look on uh, Twitter or Instagram, there are hundreds and hundreds of posts under the hashtag asking for a friend. Like these that I searched, I, honestly, I could have chosen so many, but these were a couple that I found just this week. Is it too early to listen to Christmas music asking for a friend? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Shut up, Calvin. You might be our worship coordinator, but you do not have the monopoly on Christmas music. No. Um, this one, is there such a thing as eating too much peanut butter, asking for a friend? There is no such thing as eating too much peanut butter. I tell you, if these were the sermon questions, they'd be quite short sermons, because I know the answer to those. I actually remembered that I did this myself. Um, do you remember that Sunday afternoon back in July when it was an incredible afternoon of sport and England won the World Cup cricket final, that whole super over business, and it went on. And at the same time, the Wimbledon tennis final was also playing, which I was more interested in. And it was this epic um, final. Djokovic beat Federer in the fifth set and it went to, I think it was like 13, 12 or something, Sunday afternoon and the time was ticking on. And I actually tweeted this. How many pastors are considering not turning up to their own church service tonight asking for a friend <laughs> clearly asking for myself and actually it did finish in time and myself and all my other minister friends made it to their own church services that evening so asking for a friend there may well be lots of questions that we would like to know the answer to ourselves and there may be lots of questions that friends may ask us and want to know the answer to so last week we looked at the question, what happens when we die? And tonight is this question, what do we do with the pain of unanswered prayer? The questions that we're tackling in this series are ones that you have suggested. So we asked for some opinions, whether people spoke to us directly, whether they put things in a, a kind of question box. Some of you emailed them in to us. We haven't been able to deal with them all. But where there are lots of questions and repeated questions, we've tried to answer those in this series. Now, my role as a, a pastor, a minister, is a huge privilege. And one of the reasons it's a privilege is, is partly because I get to journey with people through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in their lives. Ken sometimes says that people never say to us that they're having an average day. We, we hear the highs 
and we hear the lows. And this question of unanswered prayer comes up all the time. And it's on our list to cover in this series because actually I've been asked this question and had this kind of conversation multiple times recently. And these might be the sorts of things you were saying in your discussion just now when you were saying what's one thing that you could know the answer to about prayer. Maybe it was some of the things that I've been asked, like why doesn't God answer prayer about pain and suffering when he could? Why does he choose not to intervene if the Bible says that he's all-powerful? Does God cause bad things to happen? How can he be good if he does that? Why does God heal some people and not others? And many other similar questions. Please can I answer instead, is it too early to play Christmas music? And of course, it's not just me looking on at other people asking this question. Um, I grapple with this as well. I've had many occasions where I've prayed and God has not answered in the way that I really hoped that he would. And it's been very painful and very confusing. So I'm aware this isn't just an intellectual question. It's actually very personally um, resonant and painful, perhaps, for many of us. So in order to look at the question, I want us to use some verses in Mark to help us. And it's where Jesus himself has to do, has to deal with an unanswered prayer himself. And it's the Gethsemane story that we're going to read together. Jesus knows that his death is imminent and he takes himself to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. So we're going to read from Mark chapter 14, if you want to grab that in your Bibles, in your rows, you can. Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. Anybody have a page number for that they could tell us? Again? 1021. Thank you very much. Mark 14, 1021. Brilliant. And this is what it says. They went to a place called Gethsemane where Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still resting and sleeping? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So we're eavesdropping here. We're eavesdropping on Jesus' prayer as he talks to his heavenly father. And it's actually pretty harrowing. We are listening to Jesus at the time of his greatest distress. He is facing death and he prays. And what we hear is raw 
and, and intimate and very, very painful. Verse 33, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So as we think about unanswered prayer and how we deal with that and get our heads around that, here we see Jesus praying a prayer that he doesn't get answered in the way that he was hoping, in the way that he wants it to. Jesus is facing death and he basically says to his father, I don't want this. Take this cup from me. He said, I don't want this. I can't manage it. Take it away from me. And many of us, of course, have prayed prayers like that. And before we even look at the detail of what Jesus says and how he says it and how he prays, actually I find comfort before we even start in just knowing that Jesus has been there. He's faced the pain of unanswered prayer. Our God is not a God who is removed from human suffering. And it's not even that he's compassionate towards us from a distance. That actually he has been right there in that place praying a prayer. God, my father, would he change this? And he doesn't. As we look at Jesus' prayer here, uh, we get some insight into what to do with our own pain of unanswered prayer. And in just 21 words, that's all his prayer is, we can get some help into how we handle and what we say and think and cope in difficulty. Abba Father, verse 36, 21 words, Abba Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. Some of my thoughts from this message have come from some of Pete Gregg's writing. I find Pete Gregg just really helpful. He was actually based here in Chichester, part of Revelation Church. He's now um, a pastor in Guildford. He um, is the team leader for the 24-7 prayer movement, and he knows a bit about prayer. And I love his writing and his teaching because he is very real about the power and the wonder of prayer, but also about the confusion and the pain in prayer as well. He wrote a book some time back, this is going back a bit, called God on Mute, which deals specifically with this issue of unanswered prayer. His own wife, Sammy, battled with a brain tumour in the early days of their marriage. He's got a new book out called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, and um, it's brilliant, actually. I really recommend it to you. If you haven't read much about prayer, maybe you are quite new as a Christian, it's a really, really good starter book. But actually, even for someone who's been a Christian for a long time like me, Um, I got loads out of it. Really, really great book. And some helpful thoughts in both of those books on this whole issue of prayer and grappling with unanswered prayer. So Jesus prays this 21-worded prayer. And he starts with this, Abba Father. And the first thing for us to think about as we deal with the pain of unanswered prayer is not to give up on God's love. It's where Jesus starts, Abba Father, don't give up on God's love. What does he do at his greatest point of need? When he's actually his most distraught, he comes to his father. And Abba is a really, really intimate word. It's, it's the child, a child to a father they really trust. It's that word, papa, dad, really intimate. We come to him, the one who loves us like the best kind of father, loves a child. It's not surprising that sometimes difficulty makes us question God's love. If, if he loved me, why is this happening to me? And God doesn't 
always give us an answer to the why question, but he does give us himself and that it's him that we come to with our questions and pain. I want to show you a short clip from an interview with uh, this guy, Simon Thomas. Uh, Simon Thomas was a Blue Peter presenter some years ago. He then was a Sky Sports presenter. Um, and his wife, Gemma, died suddenly, aged 40, of um, a certain kind of leukaemia two years ago. And Simon Thomas is a Christian. And in this particular clip, it's a whole hour-long interview that he does with Premier Radio. And in this clip in particular, he grapples with this whole issue about unanswered prayer and the questions that he's got because of it, uh, as well as the difference that faith has made. There's two bits spliced together from this interview. Have a look at this. Really helpful interview. Um, if you Google Simon Thomas Premier, there's a whole hour-long interview if you'd find it helpful. But I just love the way he just really grapples with the unanswerable questions, things that we might have asked. Why them and not me? Do you love them more than me? And yet, at the same time, the difference that faith makes. In some ways, it would be, he says it would be more straightforward because there's more questions if we've got faith. What kind of God is this if there is a God in the face of unanswered prayer? But... He can't let go of God's hope and God's love, trying to navigate grief without that. Um, so there's this tension of being real about the pain of unanswered prayer, but holding on to the hope and the love of God in the face of it. Abba, Father, don't give up on God's love. Jesus then says this, he says, Abba Father, everything is possible for you. Abba Father, don't give up on God's love. Everything is possible for you. Don't give up on God's power. When we face unanswered prayer, when we come to God with some kind of lot, with some long-term difficulty, like uh, Jesus facing a situation where we feel really distraught, it's really tempting to think that actually we can give up on God, that maybe he just will never break in. But Jesus says here, everything is possible for you. And he acknowledges that actually his father only has to say the word and everything could change. And I, I, I love the fact that Jesus comes with both these things in hand. He comes intimately to the God that he loves and acknowledges his power, his fatherly love. And at the same time, acknowledging the, the possibilities of his sovereignty. And that is good news for us when we're struggling with unanswered prayer because there's comfort in knowing the love of God and we mustn't give up on that. But also hope for the future because of his sovereignty and power. And if we stop believing that God has got the power to change situations, then hope and faith is gone. Don't give up on God's power. Suffering can so easily lead us to two wrong assumptions, which is that God doesn't care and that he can't or won't help. Don't you care and can't you help? And Jesus' prayer here doesn't solve the mystery which Simon Thomas grapples with, which we grapple with, which our Bibles grapple with, of why God doesn't answer prayer as we hope sometimes. That's just an unknown for us. We don't know. But he does point us to the truth that actually God does care and he can help. And he asks us to persevere in prayer. There have been so many times I could have given up praying in a resigned kind of way that actually, you know... In my darker moments, I've been like that. What's the point of this? What is the point of praying? I won't bother praying. Where is God in this? But I just, I just don't want to stay in that place because I, 
I do believe in a God who loves and a God who is able, not giving up on his love or his power. And we're here for that tonight, for those of us who need God, who need some kind of breakthrough, who need a display of his power. We are a people who rely on the love and the power of God. And we're here tonight to pray, to pray for each other for those things. Abba Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Don't don't give up on God's love. Don't give up on God's power. And we can come honestly. Jesus did not want to go through what was ahead of him. And he comes to his father and he says, the bottom line is, I do not want this. Get me out of this. And if it's all right for Jesus, then it's all right for us. It's really, really okay not to want to suffer. Of course it is, and to struggle with that. And we can come honestly to God and lay it out before him with our wrestles. But actually there's permission for us to be distraught and in pain and angry. That that is okay. That God is more than big enough to take our honesty. We've talked about breakthrough. Don't give up on God's power. And I'm all about that. But sometimes, of course, the breakthrough doesn't happen. That we pray for people to be healed and they are not. There's not always a breakthrough. Maybe we have prayed and prayed for a relationship to be restored. But it has broken down irreversibly. The healing hasn't happened that we have prayed for. We live in a world that is broken with suffering and unfairness and Terrible things happen to people that we love and to, and to us. My very dear friend Ruth died recently at the age of 38. And I do not know why, with the cascade of prayer there was for her, why God did not intervene and heal her. And I don't know, and I will not know the answer to that this side of eternity. But did God cause her cancer? No he, did. no, he didn't. The Bible that I read does not say that God causes suffering. We are in a world of brokenness where sin abounds and suffering and unfairness happens. And I don't know why God doesn't intervene when he could, but I do know that our God of love doesn't cause it. And there will be a time when we will know and understand, but in our humanness without the eternal view the eternal perspective of God we're not going to get the answers to some of those questions and in that not knowing I look at Jesus here in Gethsemane and I want to come honestly with the questions that I've got and that we've got permission to express that to our father and all the while doing that not wanting to give up on his power and his love We run um, Alpha here in this church all the time. And uh, those of you who've been involved in Alpha will know that suffering comes up all the time, doesn't it? We pray a kind of... We pray, we play a kind of version of Alpha Bingo. And it's like, what things are going to come up in Alpha? And there are some things that give you a full house every time because, you know, why does God allow suffering? What else do you reckon is in Alpha Bingo? Other religions? Tick. (laughs) What does God think about homosexuality? Tick. How can a good God allow suffering tick? You know, there are some questions that just always come up. And sometimes people want to point to that as a reason not to believe in God. That actually, if there is a God that allows suffering to happen, how can he be good? But actually, of course, the issue of suffering doesn't mean that 
that, that being an atheist makes sense, actually. Someone might say that God can't be good and allow suffering, that they can't, those things can't coexist. But of course, that doesn't disprove God's existence. It might call into question his character, which Christians would have something to say about, but it's not a reason to decide that there is no God. And there may be a couple of reasons that our friends are asking, as I've alluded to at the beginning. There might be an intellectual curiosity. And if that's the case, then grappling with what the Bible says, thinking about um, the, the broken world that we live in, the effects of sin in the world, the fact that the Bible points to a time when there's going to be no more pain and tears, there's going to be a day when the world is put right and so on. Those sorts of conversations are going to be important, if that's the reason someone's asking. If someone's asking us because of their own suffering and pain, and that's the reason they're asking, then actually, often intellectual answers aren't actually what's needed. That, that people don't necessarily want theological explanations, but empathy and kindness and sitting with someone in their pain. And isn't that the same for us as people of faith as well? That some of us are looking on and we just really need to grapple with this and read and get to grips with what the Bible says. Others of us need a different approach if we're in that situation. I had a conversation not very long ago with um, Mark and Naomi Sheldrake who said that I can share this story. Um, those of us who are regulars here will know that Naomi is starting some treatment tomorrow for um, a cancer. And uh, Naomi and Mark have both um, battled with cancer before. And in fact, I said to them, I've got to preach a sermon on unanswered prayer. You know, what do I say? It's really short at the moment. It's basically, I don't know the answer. And I said, you know, what was helpful, what was helpful to you? And Nay talked about hearing some really, really bad news. And, um, you know, the pain of that, the pain of that. And actually, what did people do in the pain of the unanswered prayer? And she describes friends pitching up you know, knocking on the door, and what they didn't do was quote Bible verses and say unhelpful things like, everything happens for a reason, or God won't give you more than you can bear, or other misinterpretations of particular scriptures. Instead, they pitched up and they cried together and they brought food and they sat with them in the pain of that particular unanswered prayer. So one answer to what do we do with a pain of unanswered prayer for someone else, as Nay said to me, is you weep with those who weep. Half of the Psalms are laments. And, you know, the Bible is sometimes more honest about unanswered prayer than we are. You know, the word Israel means the struggle. We are part of a faith that wrestles. That's part of our heritage. And we could be honest about that and real about that. Abba Father, nothing is impossible for you. Take this cup from me. Don't give up on God's love. Don't give up on God's power. We can come honestly. And then his final phrase, yet not what I will, but what you will. Being able to say yet. When we've done all of those things, when we've held on to the love of God, when we have prayed for a breakthrough, and we've owned how we feel about our suffering, to gather all of that up, and even if it's really hard to do it, to say to God, I want to try and trust you in this. Even if your will is not my will, I'll trust you.
Pete Gregg says, when we pray, God sometimes does a miracle and airlifts us out of our problems. But more often, he parachutes in to join us in the midst of them. If we believe that God is good, and if we believe that God is sovereign, and my faith only makes sense to me as I read the Bible, to hold those two things together, that God is good, and that God is sovereign, holding on to those things, even though I don't have the answers to the questions that I might be asking, then actually it's not dangerous to pray, not my will, but yours, because we can trust his love and his care. To be able to say, I don't like this, I don't want this, I want a different script, I want it written differently, but it might be hard, but I'm going to do my very best to choose to trust you. God is with us as we wrestle and as we pray. He, he, he doesn't give us answers to all our questions. I'm sorry if you came tonight hoping for answers to some of those questions, when actually God doesn't give us answers to all the questions. His ways are not our ways. But he promises he's here. He promises he's good. He promises he's sovereign. He tells us to keep praying. And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you.